0: You're listening to Common Threads, a podcast about ethical fashion, hosted by Ruth McGilp and Alice Crickshank. We go beyond buzzwords and PR
1: peddling interviews and instead dive deep into what really matters. Each week we break
0: down the big issues, all with a little help from some amazing guests. Let's change the fashion game, one conversation at a time. Hello, thanks for joining us for another episode of Common Threads. Yes, welcome to this episode. We're going to dive right into the topic for today because we've got not one, but two guests joining us later on, which we can't wait to introduce you to. And they know much more about this topic than we do.
1: Yes, without a doubt, we need to bring in the experts for this one. Today, we are talking about the role of repair in building a more sustainable fashion system, reconnecting with how our clothing is made, and of course, making our clothes last as long as possible. Now, during the past year of lockdowns, we've seen so many people not only buy less, but make and mend more. And this is amazing as fixing what you already have is probably the best way to stick it to fast fashion their whole business model is based around people disposing of clothes after as little time as possible so repair really is revolutionary now we've mentioned repair many times before in the podcast but we thought it was about time to dedicate a full episode to this ancient skill and everyday form of activism that we can all take part in with just a little education
0: Yes, I've seen this firsthand myself. I actually acquired a secondhand sewing machine at the start of the first lockdown, and I've also been hosting and joining various virtual stitch and bitch events with Fashion Revolution. So this is where the community joins together on a zoom call to basically work through your mending pile or maybe to knit or crochet and just chat about sustainable fashion when you're doing it. So it's been a really great activity during lockdown. And we've also seen new ventures coming out, um, during this time as well. Like I saw an article the other day about this app called Sojo, which connects people with local repair services. So it's not just about repairing yourself, but using services too. So I think repairing clothing, whether we do it ourselves or we send it off to a tailor or a seamstress has a wealth of social and environmental benefits. And that's not to mention the financial savings and sometimes a positive impact on your personal well-being as well, you know, connecting with something more mindful. So stay tuned to find out about how to get involved with some very exciting repair projects and also hear more about why it's such a key part of the sustainable fashion ecosystem. Just a little note from us about how to support the show before we jump in. We run Common Threads on absolutely zero budget. We dedicate our own time and money as freelancers to keep the podcast as educational and engaging as possible for as many people as possible.
1: We are independent creators with no additional help from editors, producers, or promoters, and we don't have any brand advertisers to provide income. Help us keep the podcast free and ad-free for everyone by donating the cost of a cup of coffee to our Ko-fi account at ko-fi.com slash commonthreadspodcast. That's ko-fi.com
0: slash commonthreadspodcast. So it's time to introduce you to our first guest interview. I know we do have a lot of designers and makers who listen to this podcast, but if you're anything like Alice and I, your sewing skills leave a lot to be desired. Well, this one is for you.
1: Yes, my sewing skills are not the one, but someone who is very good at sewing is our guest Roz Studd, who spent much of her career teaching fashion and textiles to students across Scotland. And in 2020, she realized that there was a need for most of us to get back to basics. So Roz launched a free online resource for beginners called Repair What You Wear. And since then, thousands of people have used her simple, accessible videos to learn how to mend their own clothes. Here we find out more about this project and how it's educating the next generation of
0: fashion revolutionaries. Hi Rose, welcome to Common Threads, it's so good to have you on.
2: Oh hi Ruth and hi Alice, it's really nice to be here. We're really excited to have you on
1: because Ruth and I are big advocates of repairing clothes even if I know I'm terrible at it in real life, but uh, we'd love to know how did you get started in textiles? What was your journey to this point and what was it that made you want to launch Repair What You Wear?
2: Well, I've been in textiles a long time, so um, I'm quite a creative thinker and I've always enjoyed textiles. Um, And I wasn't going to go to university. I went off and went to art school and I studied uh, knitted and woven textile design. And my first job was a designer, but I realized that really wasn't me. And uh, I became a buyer. So then I worked as a retail buyer for lots of different people for a long period of time. And I traveled a lot. And uh, at one point, I was traveling to India a lot and working with very small craftspeople. But I was also working for an organization that was becoming increasingly commercially orientated, big business, just walking over little people, I felt. And... um At the same time, because this was a long time ago, there was a lot of interest in charities raising money through the sale of new goods or shops or whatever. And I had this thing that if I went to work for a charity, I could use my skills and knowledge in a better way for a greater good. So that's what I did. And I spent a long time working for charities. I worked for a lot of them pretty well, all the big names actually in the end. And I was doing commercial um, contracts and product development and product sale and stuff. Then I became a, went back to my roots and became a textiles teacher. Now, while I was working, I also did voluntary work at schools. I also worked with uh, training new teachers coming through Aberdeen University into textiles. And it occurred to me that the core skills of even just using a needle and thread were disappearing or had disappeared. Um, it's all very well asking people to use machines and design things. But actually, that takes you a step away because it's quite difficult to become a really good maker. And, um, and I was working with some very vulnerable people as well. And I thought if they can't sew on a button, that costs them a great deal of money. So after quite a bit of experimentation and working out, we launched Repair What You Wear last, uh, well, lockdown, March, <laughs> mid-March. <laughs> and the idea is that I've gone right back to basics, because if just threading a needle is tricky, then you're never even going to try. But the environmental cost of not mending clothes is huge.
0: Yeah, It's, it's an amazing platform to really go back to basics, because I think you really take for granted threading a needle, for example. It's not something that everyone can do. And like you said, you don't want to be put off at the first hurdle. So far, you know, you, you said you launched in March. So that's nearly a year running now. Has there been anything that surprised you in the journey and how have people responded to that kind of platform during lockdown?
2: Well, it was very interesting because when I first started talking about doing this, which was a good three and a half years ago, uh, people used to say to me, why? (laughs) And by the time we launched, people were saying to me, you're right on it. You're on it. It's there. And so we received a very warm reception at the beginning. And at the beginning of lockdown, there was a lot of looking at how you could improve yourself at home. Suddenly people had time. They were a bit reflective. Since then, uh, yeah, we've moved forward really well, actually. But the dialogue is now really about the environment. I would like it to be, I'd like people to be mending all over society. I really want that. But if you're going to try and get to the people who are responsive at the moment, it's the concern about the environment. At the same time, though, I have real concerns about people's uh, finances. And as an individual, if something breaks in this household and I don't want to buy new um, because it's not worth it, um, I mend it. So as a family, I was totting up, I must have mended £700 worth of clothing this year. And, you know, that's a big budgetary difference. And in fact, that's what got me off it on the first place. I realised that I could save money by mending and others couldn't. The jeans mending thing has made me laugh, though, because my jeans mending visitors had nearly... 42,000 views but I would think moth holes in jumpers is a really good one to do and that's still in the hundreds (laughs) so depends how people find us doesn't it
1: yeah well I actually have a pair of jeans that I'm wearing right now that have a hole in them and they don't even make them anymore so yeah I definitely need to get on your videos so I can fix them
2: (laughs) yeah do absolutely
1: but I think something that makes me a bit nervous and something that makes a lot of people nervous is they don't want to get it wrong they don't want to ruin their clothes so how can people kind of shelf that fear and find the confidence to just give it a go basically
2: I think we think that everything has to be perfect I think that's one of the reasons why we've we and particularly Britain does consume a huge amount of stuff these days if it's not perfect it's not worth anything first of all fix the hole when it's small don't procrastinate because small things are much easier to fix and you don't see them as obviously. So just give it a go. I think everyone can mend, but you don't have to be an artist. So there's lots of people who are promoting beautiful men's at the moment and really skilled. If that's not you, that's fine.
0: So you've talked a bit about the environmental side and that a lot of people are concerned about the environment and that's bringing them to your platforms. But in terms of the sort of social, the ethical sides of fashion... Have you found that sort of through learning how clothes are made and, you know, maybe unpicking seams and things like that, that people are maybe connecting with, you know, how complex it is to make clothes and what a skilled job it is. And maybe thinking a bit more about the people that made those clothes, you know, originally.
2: I hope so. And it is really true that the more you know, uh, the greater respect you have. One of the things that's always interested me is that people haven't, generally, of course, everybody, including in art school, I don't think there's enough knowledge about the influence of fibres and construction because it's the fibres that really give you a lot of environmental impact. And it's the construction of clothing that then gives you the shape, the drape, the style, the function. So um, I'm currently running a course, um, six week block courses on teaching those core skills. um, And we'll probably start putting that out a bit more Never waste an opportunity to talk about it either. And when people are mending, and if they watch my videos, I talk about things relating to the clothes that will gradually educate them. And I think it is not only enlightening, but hugely interesting. And you do get a lot more respect. I mean, clothes are complex to make, really complex. (laughs) But the sad thing about uh, fast fashion is that the detail is no longer there. So when I was a retail buyer for a major chain way back when, we used to have to really finalize the product for the best fit before we launched it because it was much slower. Now that products are coming in, you know, constantly, I don't know, 24 ranges a year, say, um, that's the maximum you can do, but just constantly every couple of weeks, there isn't the time to get it right. So very often you find that things don't fit properly. And as a result, they get pulled in the wrong places, buttons fall off. Um, seams grin and split so that you're building in an obsolescence through lack of detail and the more you know about your garments when you're buying the more you'll be able to anticipate that I think
1: yeah absolutely they don't make them like they used to absolutely applies to clothes But something that also isn't as good as it used to be is our our sewing education in schools. Do you think there needs to kind of be this resurgence at education level to help people get into sewing and repair?
2: Completely. Um, obviously, I've done some work in schools, but I have been working in, uh, um, in colleges and adult ed. When we set it up, we definitely thought that it, the site should be accessible to schools. I've done quite a lot of talking to the education authorities all over Britain at the, the, the sort of at the top level. They've all told me that it is included in the curriculum, but um, I know it's not in the form that I think it should be because home economics covers some textiles and sewing but it's not really covering the environmental impact and it's not giving people the skills at a very low level to be able to keep their clothes going. So I've done some proposals for the Scottish Qualification Authority and I'm in touch with their specialist. And uh, this weekend we're uh, having our first uh, Zoom call for primary and secondary teachers so that we can start to develop a curriculum that is outside of home economics Because really we're talking about having the skills for environmental sustainability, not making beautiful things, sewing on a button, fixing a seam. I'm afraid I think the curriculum has changed a lot and sewing skills were regarded as almost Victorian and so they got cast out. And anyone who does learn to sew now usually learns from a relative um, or from an institution. But uh, it's not seen as important in education. And obviously, you, us, we believe it should be. So I'm doing my best.
0: (laughs) Well, you're doing an amazing job. And yeah, I think my school experience was the same. If it wasn't for my grandma teaching me sewing skills, I don't think they would be where they are. And I still don't feel super confident, but what's really helped me are throughout lockdown, these stitch and bitch events that we've been running with Fashion Revolution Scotland, it sort of um, distracts you from maybe the hyper focus and the chore that mending can be sometimes. I think if you're like me and you're not particularly good at like focusing on tiny things, it's nice to have people to chat to or a show to watch while you're doing it. How do you think that has worked during lockdown with sort of connecting people to that old school community spirit of a sewing circle or a stitch and bitch? You know, in quite an isolating time, is there anything that you've been doing? I know you've taken part in a few of the stitch and bitches to
2: kind of connect people. Well, connection's really important, but you really need two to have common goals and common interests, and then you feel supported within that group. So I think you're right, Ruth. You know. If you've got something in your hands and you're with other people and you feel a common, a common uh, interest, but also um, you can exchange information with them and expand your network, is a very positive thing. When we first started out with Repair What You Wear, the whole idea was to be a pebble in the pond and provide the material, the, the learning and the materials to not only support the individual, but also to support the development of community groups. COVID has taken that away for the moment that's why it's not on the website or anything but we have to enjoy those those groups virtually and they're very positive
0: I love it I love it and I love that sometimes people will be on the zoom call going oh, I'm not quite sure how to do this stitch and then somebody else in the group will be like oh you know here's a good thing and it's just it's really nice and it does feel like you know like being in person Mm, kind of for now that's what we've got as a substitute but it's been really great to have your resources as well for me to revisit you know how to do a basic backstitch or something these are things that you forget so um I think it's great that it's this free online platform for anyone to
2: access it's encouraging isn't it because if you all start doing it and you start enjoying yourself or you're proud of what you do then you pass it on too and your self-esteem goes up and of course everybody talking about Mindfulness or mendfulness, so there's huge benefits, yeah. You
1: can upgrade your own sewing skills from home using Roz's videos at repairwhatyouwear.com. And I actually found our chat with Roz so inspiring, as someone who's relied heavily on professional tailors and my mum in the past to help me alter things. But with this whole lockdown scenario, I feel like I'm even looking forward to giving my own sewing a go. Something different anyway. But now on to our next segment, and we are talking to the founder of a brand which takes repair into its own hands of a product that most of us couldn't live without. And over the years, we've seen brands like Patagonia, Rayburn, Barber and Levi offer in-house repairs to showcase their dedication to making products last longer, and of course, to keep that customer loyalty strong. But for us, it's always the small and the independent labels that are really driving this movement. And our next guest is
0: no exception. The wonderful Siobhan McKenna is the designer behind the sustainable fashion brand Regine Denim, based in Glasgow. Regine's signature product is a classic genderless denim jacket made from a patchwork of pre-loved jeans but Siobhan also provides a dedicated repair shop for any brand of denim products. You can send in your favorite jeans to be mended and tailored using her many years of denim expertise. Here's Siobhan for another quickfire interview. So Siobhan welcome to the podcast. Hey thanks for having me so great to have you on. We obviously have worked together and chat all the time. So it's good to finally be able to show you to the listeners. So before we get started talking about repair, I'd like you to tell us the story of Regine. You know, how did you come to launch it? Why denim? Why reclaim denim?
3: Um, I guess it all started with my kind of jobs when I lived in London. I worked as a tailor for Levi's. And I used to have to do a lot of repairs on jeans. And it was for like clients that sort of refused to ever admit that the life of that garment was over <laughs> that. And I also worked in a vintage factory in London called Rocket. And we used to sort of cut all these old vintage jeans um, into like hot pants and turn-up shorts back when that's all women would ever wear. It's spit like I like think we can all relate. So I was responsible so for producing a lot of those. Sorry. And then when I moved back to Glasgow, I didn't really have much of a plan of what I was doing with my life. But um, seeing the sort of amount of like readily available 2nd denim and like the waste that even we were just creating in that job had kind of planted like a heavy seed. And having a fashion degree and sort of thinking, oh what am I going to do with that and like the risk of setting up like a new brand and sourcing all these new fabrics like getting stuff produced which is such a sort of taxing thing on the planet amongst other things so I thought I'll I'll
1: play around with some old jeans (laughs) and yeah that's kind of how it all started I mean, it's worked out great. Like your jackets are beautiful. They're so unique, definite collector's pieces. So yeah, you made a good decision setting up. (laughs) Oh,
3: thanks. Yeah. I mean, it's been a learning process. Like, I think the product has elevated a bit since I first started, which is, it's nice.
1: So as well as your jackets, you obviously do denim repair and I'd love to find out a bit more about this, but I also want to personally pick your brain because I think now with the way jeans are made, like it's quite hard to find ones that actually fit you well. I know I struggle with ones that are, you know, fit at the waist and the hips. Some people might find they're too wide too skinny whatever so as well as kind of chatting us through what you offer I'd love to know from you a bit more about what makes a pair of jeans good for alteration like what sort of things should we look for if we know we maybe need to get them tailored a little bit to us rather than off the rack?
3: I I mean personally for me if I'm working with denim I prefer to work with like 100% cotton Um, it's easier to work with and it's just a nicer product that's kind of designed to last a bit longer. So I altered a pair of jeans for Ruth and they were kind of perfect because they were they were like ideal for you, weren't they Ruth? But they were just not sitting quite right on the kind of body and like around the waist. But we done a sort of like avant-garde um alteration. We put like a seam all the way down the backs of the legs. So I guess you can either go at it from a sort of, add a detail and not do it the conventional way, or you can like, unpick the seams and like make it look like nobody's
0: touched them <laughs> yeah they, they I was so impressed by how it's done you know rather than taking in the waist and then it doesn't fit right in the legs it was this straight down the sides you know I wish this was a visual podcast because then I'd be able to show you but um yeah that was exactly it the you know you find these jeans that are perfect for you in every way apart from you just want them to hug your figure a bit more or you want them to you know graze your ankles a bit better and Shimon's great at that
3: because we took them in all the way from the waistband that's like a little bit bulky so it's like are you happy with that or do you want it to be like perfect seamless you know it's 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 two different sort of styles so yeah like different clients really
0: it'd be great to hear a bit more about other kind of repairs that you offer I know you also do visible mending and uh, the I can't pronounce this word sashiko method so it'd be great to hear a bit about that as well
3: I mean this sashiko is like really slow um beautiful and simple um it's obviously like a japanese um traditional sort of method of repairing um where you just sort of take scraps and place it either underneath the affected area like the hole or you can put it on top there's loads of like denim artists I'm in no way a denim artist Um, but I do really enjoy um, that kind of slow method of repair and like sort of really adding value and adding a kind of fresh element to the garment, bit of extra beauty um, and I don't know, it just kind of showcases like that you care about your clothes. It's instead of repairing because oh, you have to, out of whatever circumstance that you've chosen to, out of, like, respect and longevity and, you know, you've invested money into this piece and you want to make it last as long as it possibly can. And it's, like, the journey without sounding too pretentious, but you know what I mean. Um, And then, obviously, we do, like, um, invisible repairs. Um, They're not, like, obviously... Visible to the untrained eye, we would normally do them maybe around like the crotch area where you would just sort of patch underneath and get some thread that's like match the threads as much as possible. So even if like the colours faded a bit under there, you wouldn't match it with like the darker shade that's down the leg, you would match it with like the shade that it had faded to to make it more subtle. And you just sort of like darn or cross stitch um, over it you get these amazing like darning machines with like a whole arm and you just pull the jean over like that um I don't have that yet but maybe when I grow the repair side of the business a bit more it'll be worth investing in one of those
1: yeah absolutely and I love the idea of instead of just repairing to fix repair to change you know clothes can go on this journey with you as we love to say um but there's a quote that's been used a lot recently that repair is a revolutionary act and it's a great quote so I just want to get your thoughts on it why do you think mending is such a radical thing to do these days? I think first and foremost
3: you know regardless of whether you're if you actively engage with like this sustainable or ethical fashion scene most people still own something that is mass produced whether you shop on the high street a lot or or even if you're buying in pre-mart but you know you buy thoughtfully and you make it last we all still sort of own those things that billions of other people own so if you repair that then it's no longer like that mass produced exact same like item that everybody else has it's a little bit different even if it is just like you've stitched up the seam, you've cared enough to repair that. And that sets that one garment turning apart from like all the other ones. Obviously, if you've like done something a bit more creative and colourful to it, then you know it really is like a new piece. Um, I think it was Ursula DeCastro on one of the last. Talk she done I think it was for the V&A Dundee she pulled out this raggedy old vest that she had and it was her favorite piece she was like this is a literal piece of trash and I've turned it into a piece of wearable art like that's obviously not quote for quote or word for word but um yeah (laughs) but I just I really like that like you can take like you had that old t-shirt that you bought that's got holes in it you only wear to bed or like around the house and you can cut it up or you can add some colourful thread to it or whatever you want and it's no longer that it's just so far away from it's like original um that original piece that it was created to be so
0: yeah absolutely I think that's actually so beautiful to think about like everyone owning the same item but it's you know it's slightly different depending on how they've worn it and how they've lived in it and how they've mended it so I think that's really It's quite spiritual. I like it. (laughs) But I wanted to ask you, because obviously we're talking about um, people repairing their own clothes, but do you think that brands, you know, obviously like yourself or much bigger high street fast fashion brands should be accountable for the repair of their products? Or do you think it's all on consumers to organize that themselves?
3: No, it's not all on the consumer. I think it's kind of 50-50 or at least I kind of hope it or want it to be i used to work in zara when i was in college um and surprisingly they actually offered an alteration service it was the one in Silverburn in glasgow so that store had individually like partnered up with a local alterations shop you know to get things tailored you know it it can it can be done um i mean a big worry that i have like how often do you order something from like ASOS or PLT? I mean, maybe not us specifically, but, um, and there's like a tiny little fault on a garment, like a tiny little like snag on the seam. The the fabric hasn't quite caught um, the needle, you know? It's a like two second repair job, but that customer won't have, may not have the skills to repair that. Neither should they have to repair it because they bought it new. So the amount of returns they get that are just that tiny little snag fault, what happens to them? Do they go in the bin? Do they get repaired? Like, I think we all know the answer and it's not the one we want it to be. (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, there could be some legislation on that. And, you know, if, if a lot more people had the skills or the confidence to sort of do that tiny little repair, that would be that would make a big difference um I think also repair is like it's a nice thing to do for your clothes if you you know that's obviously a bit idealistic but um it's not for everybody but working with your hands picking up a needle and thread a bit of crafting you know same way as doing a puzzle or some people find cooking switching off from your kind of normal day-to-day habits and doing something different it is soothing it is like you know good for your brain it's Good to switch off and try something new. It's good for your mental health. So, in that respect, I'd love to be able to push repair and that sort of ethos to the masses because I think it is really good for
0: everybody. Yeah, I just wanted to ask on the, you know, what you were saying about what happens to those returns that could have been repaired. Do you think that because the quality of clothing is going down, you know, in theory, you know things getting cheaper there's not quality control like there used to be do you think that's maybe leading to people being more interested in repair whereas before things might have lasted longer or is that a reach?
3: No I think I think you're dead on I think fast fashion things are mass produced the working conditions in some of these factories like some of these workers aren't even permitted a toilet break unless they have um produced a certain amount of um garments they've got through their their pile of clothes and um, you know they're not they're like literally chained to their sewing machine so maybe not literally of course that's got a massive impact on these tiny tiny little vaults because the amount that they're producing is so vast like they are overproducing like and nobody's even got the time to check every little last seam, like who you know that is time is money and they're selling these clothes for pennies. If you're buying from like a maker or an artisan or whatever term you want to use, they're not overproducing. They're maybe only producing a line of 10 garments in that one design that week. And maybe that one individual person that is sewing them up. So they will see every. You know, and they, and when they they themselves will package it, so they will when they fold it up and wrap it up, they will do it like a once over for threads and whatever else. So they will see all of that. So yeah, I think it's just two totally different working practices. And and as you said, those garments that it's too expensive to 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 fix it. You know, <laughs> I mean it's not, but it is in their sort of working practice, in their production process. So.
1: Yeah, right. absolutely. It's just, it's about putting the love back into clothes, which is what people like you are all about. It's, you know, falling in love with clothes again. But to kind of round off a bit, for anyone that does want to try and get into their own making or mending, do you have any tips about how to source a good sewing machine and any other sort of tips for people wanting to get started?
3: Good sewing machines, you can find them secondhand online really easily. I always recommend Janome as a brand just because they're really good machines. They're made to last. And if you needed to buy any parts for them, they're quite reasonably priced. And yeah, you know, if you're just set and trying something out, just get like a kind of just get a machine to get used to, to enjoy, to to learn on. And then if it is something that you're going to spend a lot of time on, then yeah, invest, invest in a good new machine or, you know, I mean, most people will know somebody, a neighbour or a grandparent or somebody who wouldn't have one gathering dust. So just reach out to your network and see who has one because people might want to create space in their homes. Um, I want to shout out Bond Textiles because they've got a really great range of like ethical haberdashery um, and they'll soon be opening a shop in Glasgow. So if, um, if you're looking for kind of Kind to the Earth fabrics. Go check um go check Bon out, and also just have a look on eBay. The I mean, if you're not creating a collection, you can find nice little job lots of like little trims and um like vintage army type um like ribbing and stuff, you know. So just have a good look online, and also like connect with um connect with your local designers because a lot of us are sitting on bags and bags of scrap material and we're quite happy to get rid of it if you needed it to patch up a garment do a little bit of sashiko. um yeah just reach out
0: to your community I guess (laughs) we hope you enjoyed those interviews for me it's just so great to be able to reclaim the power of repair I think it's often associated with very outdated and sexist associations that something that is women's work, or maybe it's only something that people do that can't afford to buy nice things. But just because fast fashion is more affordable and more convenient than ever, it doesn't mean we can't say no to new and instead really connect with what we already have, particularly during lockdown.
1: Hell yes. And we hope today's episode has left you feeling inspired to maybe dig out those old clothes from the back of your wardrobe with the rip seams and the moth holes and start breathing some new life into them, maybe even learning a handy new skill. I know I have some jeans that I need to get stitching. Thanks for the tips and inspiration, Roz and Siobhan. And as always, thank you so much for listening and make sure to keep the conversation going on Instagram at Common Threads Podcast. See you next week.